Welcome to Alec Across the States. I'm Dan Reynolds, your host. Today I'm joined by Shelby Emmett. She's the center director at the Alec Center to Protect Free Speech. Also calling in straight from Utah is Kim Coleman. She's a Utah state representative in the Utah House. We're going to have a great discussion today about free speech, different ALEC model policies like the ALEC Forum Act, and also discussing what you can do as state legislators or an individual to help propel more free speech on college campuses. And uh, Shelby, why don't you go ahead and kick it off for us? Hello, Representative. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, first, I wanted to officially state uh, thank you and congratulations for becoming our new state ch- our public chair for the center. Yes. Um, so you. excited to have you in this role. Um, you've done such great work uh, with me in the center and with all of our members and particularly in your state on free speech issues. So I think it'll be a really, really good year for 2019 and 2020. And we're looking forward to it. We're going to have a lot of fun this year. No, absolutely. And, you know, Utah passed uh, a bill. I sponsored a bill a couple of years ago dealing with free speech zones and kind of getting rid of those things that limit speech and making the whole campus a, a free speech area so that students can have a free st- exchange of ideas. Yeah, we absolutely love that. We work a lot on free speech zone stuff here, too. Um, It's probably, I think, our members, one of their favorite topics are free speech zones specifically. Um, Could you tell us a little bit more about your bill, HB 158? So the one this year, 158, dealt more with sort of the speech codes and and how individual students are, um, are asked to limit their free expression and their thoughts when when students are are told in a policy that a condition of participating in an activity or living in the dormitory requires that they can't uh, tease, ridicule, disrespect, dishonor someone else. What does that, what does that even mean? And, and so you have the overt fear that if a student crosses that line, they might get kicked out. But what does it do in the area of suppressing speech, the micro suppressions of speech that we see um, as a result of campus policies. So how can you tell us what was the conversations like with other legislators when you would uh, discuss free speech um, on college campuses? Would, was it very partisan? Did you have a lot of people maybe agreeing with you behind the scenes but didn't want to publicly? What was your experience like as a legislator? So the first question of legislators is always, is this a problem? Are we, uh, do we have a solution that's looking for a problem? And so the, you know, the first burden is to help my colleagues understand that we really do have a problem in our state, that we truly have students who, who feel the impact of these unconstitutional policies, that we can point to black and white written policies that are unconstitutionally restrictive and to be able to first show that this is absolutely a problem in our state. Um, the next step is, do I have the right solution? And, and I've worked with t- some of the top uh, constitutional first amendment um, attorneys, scholars in the nation that deal with campus free speech rights. And, and we think we were right on policy, but you, you have a concern truly I mean, we do have a concern where some of our rhetoric in our country um, can feel uncomfortable, can feel caustic, can feel harsh. And, and there are people who would like to 
limit that and 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 college they believe that college should be a place free from offense and this is when we get into really shaky territory so clearly nobody wants people bullied nobody wants people legally harassed and the institutions absolutely should protect students from from threats of violence threats um, intimidation harassment those things are not protected but but then there's this whole area where um, it's not truly harassment. Um, you don't have the right to be free from offense or to stop someone else's speech because you disagree with it, because you don't like it, because it makes you uncomfortable. And um, so this bill really did strike that line for where speech is harassment and not protected versus when it is free and protected. And what what did people think um, about the harassment definitions? Were there different competing views of how harassment should have been defined or did they have other problems with the legislation? Well, um, luckily I didn't have to define it. The Supreme Court of the United States defined that for us about 30 years ago in a case uh, called Davis versus Monroe Board of Education, um, th this is where they found the line and, and actually is based on standards that have been applied in dozens of cases even before we, we kind of codified it and recognized it in the landmark case and then has since been applied to the educational setting um, again for the last 30 years. So, so we didn't define it. We didn't stab in the dark. We relied on the Supreme Court precedent that set the standard for where that line is. Um, some question whether that line should still be there, but we have no better standard and we have not, the, the court has not changed that. It really is a reasonable standard of, of um, when students should be protected from harassment and when students should be free to speak. Well, one thing that I think our listeners would be really interested in, in hearing from Representative Coleman, I mean, not everyone is so well-versed in free speech uh, issues and free speech policy as, uh, as you are and our, our director, Shelby, here uh, is. So can you explain to our listeners, I mean, why exactly isn't the First Amendment on its own good enough to protect the free speech of uh, on-campus students? So sometimes that is a question I get as a state lawmaker, sometimes even criticism. You know, we have this, we have this right codified and enshrined in the Constitution and our Bill of Rights. Why do we need a state law? Um, for some practical purposes, many of our state constitutional elements mirror our U.S. Constitution. So we say as United States collectively, we value the First Amendment. We say as the state of Utah in our own constitution, our founders and drafters of our constitution said we also value that. We recognize that in addition as a state right. And when you give a state right and you give a, you recognize a state civil right, um, you also give state remedies for when those rights are violated. And so students, if their First Amendment rights are violated, they, they, 
they are aggrieved under U.S. Constitution. They can file suit in federal court. But what we do in a state remedy is we say, you also can go this route. You've been violated both under the the U.S. Constitution and our state constitution, and you can access remedy through your state court system as well, which tends to be a little bit easier to access, a little bit cheaper, takes a little bit less time, and is a more appropriate remedy in some cases. That's absolutely true. We do get this question a lot from members as well. Um, Federal courts are just, just more time consuming. It it can take forever to get there, depending on what's happening. Um, And particularly with these types of First Amendment cases as well, because the the legislatures are doing these and codifying it in state statute, it makes it easier for uh, everyday attorneys who aren't First Amendment experts, but just everyday attorneys in their state to take on these cases and obviously um, represent students who most of the time obviously aren't going to have the money and the funds in order to fight that claim successfully. So it just makes it easier for students to get the justice that they deserve, but also make sure that you're protecting the the state's resources and the state's budget as well. So, Representative Coleman, walk us through uh, what was going on with uh, your House Bill 158 there, because I know some, you know, there's some turbulations going on when it moved from the House or into the Senate. We briefly talked about it uh, off recording, but if you could update our uh, listeners, uh, I think they would be very interested to hear what was going on. Well, as as you mentioned, um, sometimes the 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 adjudication of First Amendment grievances can be can be somewhat complicated. But it um, we have a very strong higher education lobby, and and I've I've gone up against them for the the five years I've been in the legislature, and. Um, I, I think it's that simple. We've we've had the institutions argue that their student loan sponsorships could be threatened, that they can get in trouble with Title IX office if the Title IX office um, believes that they are violating student uh, rights in the area of, of discrimination. So, so sometimes um, a lobbying effort can simply. Uh, employ fear tactics and and when you talk about something as big as a statewide university public university system those threats if they believe them can be real can be compelling at the same time uh representative could you tell us a little bit more about that just uh generally i think a lot of people wonder what is the relationship like as a lawmaker with institutions of higher education um as a state lawmaker do you and your colleagues have good relationships with your state institutions um i've talked with a lot of members who've said that they deal a lot with the education lobby right they deal with general counsels they deal with their lobbyists but they don't necessarily have great relationships with the institution itself um and they only seem to really deal with them and associate with them during appropriations time so what about in utah what what is what are the relationships like between higher ed and policymakers? Uh, you know, I think that's on an individual basis. I, I know that I feel like I have um, cordial and open relationships with with the administrations of our various schools. Um, very good bi-directional open door policies. I, I feel very comfortable to reach out to any of our university professors have ha- or um, administrators and presidents. We have had direct conversations on these things. 
Um, the governmental affairs people are, are usually very, you know, we're, those relationships are good, but it is a very, very powerful institution collectively and individually. And um, I once spoke with one of the university professors, one of our larger research schools, who described three stakeholding groups. There, there's the students, and then there, there's the state of Utah and sort of the general, uh, you know, collective citizen interest in, in having a robust education system. And then there's your donors, and the donors may supply as much as half of the operating funds of a particular institution. So they become a new sort of uh, consumer or, um, you know, customer, stakeholder that also has to be happy <laughs> with how things go. And, and so for those universities to really have to um, answer to all three of these groups, as a lawmaker, I answer to one. I answer to 38,000 people that elected me, and and we care, they care, and, and I believe they elected me because I care about a good education, lowering tuition, um, and, and that financial impact to our state and our students, and, and that that experience is valuable and meaningful, and when we find out that students are afraid to speak and express their thoughts, that's a big concern for me. So it's, it's complicated. It is that higher education system is, is a big, big bureaucracy, a big governmental institution with not as many, I think, not as many guardrails as some areas of other areas of government. Yes, that, that's very true. Uh, you know, as you know, here, we always focus on issues like academic freedom and institutional autonomy. But you're absolutely right there. I think this idea, too, that because they are these special institutions that they also shouldn't have to be reviewed or make sure that there's transparency within them. But it's just as important for those public entities, just like the legislature or the DMV or anywhere else, those are still public institutions and the the, the people of the states um, deserve to know what's happening there and to make sure that the, the money is being spent wisely. Right. Now, you would not expect to go to any other governmental agency or governmental department and see a policy on a wall that says, you know, effectively you can't express yourself um, in in a protected way. You, um, it really is sort of unique for our education system that 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 they would even even attempt to limit speech, and we would not tolerate that in our city halls or at our DMV. Exactly. Absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like a really strong chilling effect against people who are there trying to learn and trying to better themselves. And I mean, iron sharpens iron. And if you're not willing to debate ideas, you're not really going to be ever set up in life to have your own fully fledged ideas are just going to be, you know, a weaker form of what they could have been. Um, and because it's so timely, I would like to uh, bring up a quick discussion of the executive order that came down uh, today uh, and just get your guys' opinion on it because you are, you know, so embedded in this issue and are such experts on it. Uh, and I think our listeners would really benefit from uh, your guys' uh, discussion on it. 
Uh, yeah. So the executive order uh, that was released today, basically the president did two things. The first was um, specifically calling on specific departments within the executive branch. So like the Department of Education, um, the Science Foundation, something like that, um, that schools that are applying for uh, research grants and it has nothing to do with student aid, nothing actually connected to uh, the student, but it's for the institution itself for research, they would basically have to certify that they're in compliance with the First Amendment and any regulations, codes, statutes um, around that realm of free speech um, before they could receive those federal research funds. We don't know what that means yet, right? We don't. We haven't actually seen the process yet. We don't know if this is going to be a random person at each agency has to grab the red stamp and say, pro-free speech, or, you know, how do they even say, yes, you're in compliance, yes, you are doing it right. We haven't seen any of those tools to actually measure that. But big picture wise, it's it's really exciting to see the president and the administration take the free speech issue on college campuses seriously. If for anything, it starts more of a conversation around free speech, because I think uh, as the representative, I think will agree with me, it's not just a legal problem, it's a cultural problem. So the more that we can start actually talking about it as a society and we not can, just... We the, can actually take a moment and point yeah, to yeah, it and yeah. say, we all agree, there's something exactly. wrong going on And not on just, you know, the dorky policy wonks like me that are like, <laughs> yay, let's talk about the First Amendment all day, but like everyday people can actually start talking about this more. So I think that's, that's a positive right there. Um, but we are still trying to go through like what this would actually mean for someone like... Representative Coleman, who then has to go back to the states and deal with laws or bills or something that addresses yeah. what the feds are doing. Um, exactly. Because part of the issue that uh, Representative Coleman addressed was, you know, the last time the feds got so involved in higher education, you got a really, really bad dear colleague letter that hurt a lot of people, either their due process rights and their free speech rights. So I think everybody's a little just naturally suspicious or not suspicious, but hesitant. We um, want to make sure we get all the facts yeah, straight. Yeah, because it's yeah. still the government, right? So <laughs> I, what about you, Representative? What do you, what do you think? <laughs> well, I, I trust the government to always get it right. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> um, well, you know, okay, let's remember the incident that really is the impetus for this, that a, a student organizer on a campus freely expressing his um, ideas and a recruitment effort for a particular um, student organization. Um, another student found um, found offensive enough that he punched the guy, punched him in the face. And I think you know that that um, that video went viral, and I think everybody still shudders. I still flinch, and I still I mean it's like a you know kick in the gut to see it happen to somebody. Um, and uh, of course. The institution took a long time to say, yeah, okay, yeah, this is an assault. We'll do something. But what we have, um, you know, that sort of woke some people up. And I feel like, you know, for five years and, and Alec and, and um, some of the groups like FIRE, uh, Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education, who have been sounding this alarm for years, in 2013, I, um, in my own state, there was a student group that was um, conducting some recruitment efforts and passing out literature, and they were shut down. Now, this wasn't violent, but they were shut down, and so we've been sounding the alarm for years that something is amiss on our campuses. It took viral videos of a man getting punched squarely in the face 
to make a lot of people stop and realize there is a problem. And so, so President Trump has responded to that. It's, um, it, it is not very clear <laughs> yet what that's going to mean, but at least we're talking about it. We're having more conversations than we were having two months ago. And that's what needs to happen. And you know what has happened now for me is I've been talking about this for five years. But now that the president came out and said, this is enough, we're going to do something about it. I have more students and professors contacting me than ever before because they feel like I can come out now. I can speak. I can tell my story um, because I think my president's going to protect me now, and hopefully lawmakers like me and others and, and organizations like our, our Free Speech Center and other um, groups are, are going to help. Yeah. I mean, and just to, to Shelby's point, it, it's, it being such an ingrained social, cultural problem that we really need to be able to look at it and agree that this is a problem, and we need to get on, the, get on board together. And it sounds like at least that is, you know, from your perspective, happening right now. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we, first of all, congratulations on uh, two things here is being the new center chair uh, for the Center to Protect Free Speech. Uh, but then also congratulations again, uh, for being the state legislator uh, of the month for March. Oh, and of course, thank you for all your hard work, uh, you know, breaking down speech codes, and uh, really fighting the large interest groups that you uh, do so well. Um, we are going to wrap up here now, but uh, if you or Shelby have anything else that you would like to leave our listeners with, uh, please. Um, just say that if you know you all really truly believe in free speech, you have to fight for it every day. I think Representative Coleman said it best. We can have all the laws and the president and everybody on our side, but if people just aren't exercising their free speech rights, it doesn't matter what the government does or doesn't do. You know, um, free speech rights are so absolutely fundamental. If that right goes down, it doesn't go down alone. It takes other other fundamental rights with it. So we need to protect it and hope that we can continue to get more support to change the policies, the culture on our campuses, and make it better for students. Thank you, Shelby and Representative Coleman, for joining us on another edition of Alec Across the States. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the premier state-focused podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Alec States and check us out online at alec.org. All individuals on this show do not speak for the American Legislative Exchange Council and are representing their own individual opinions.